0: All right. Well, good morning, friends. This morning, we're continuing this series that we have been in now for a couple weeks called Can I Ask That? And uh, we're talking about the questions that were submitted to us or the questions that we've heard from friends or neighbors uh, over this past year that we have been in this thing called Wingfoot Church. Uh, Because there are sometimes questions that you're wondering, questions that are kind of lingering in the back of your mind and you're not sure if you can ask them or where to ask them, and we're saying it is okay to ask those questions. It's okay to bring those questions up. And one of the things that I have been really encouraged by and it's been really cool to see is that as we talk about these things here, it leads to conversations outside of here, Uh, whether that's in house church communities where people are talking about the reality of these questions and how we live into the tensions of these things, or just conversations after church on Sunday morning over lunch. It's been really cool to see as we talk about these questions and we're willing to, to talk into these tensions that we feel. It opens up community. It opens up understanding with other people. And so it's really important to lean into these questions and not be afraid to talk about them. Uh, so this morning as we talk through uh, the next question, I want to start us off by reading the scripture that we're going to anchor our conversation in this morning. So it's going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you have a copy of the Bible, either uh, a book or on your phone, uh, it will also be on the screen as well. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4. through four. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have free Bibles available at the Next Steps desk because this book is really important to us. And so we want you to have one with you. So I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4, through four, if you'd follow along with me. "'If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God.' When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word for us this morning. So the question that we're going to be talking about this morning is this question, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Now, if you're here and you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, this might not be the first question that pops in your head when you think, what question do I have? Uh, And So I want to give you some context for why this is such an important question. If you read the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus and his followers, the term Christian that we typically use to apply to someone who follows Jesus, the term Christian only appears three times. Only three times in the entire New Testament is the term Christian used, and two of those three times, it's used by someone who is not a follower of Jesus to describe someone who is a follower of Jesus. So Christian, we could really say, is a label that is applied to a group of people that someone is not a part of. They're trying to explain what it actually means to follow Jesus, but they don't have the experience behind it. So they're saying, we're going to use this term Christian to describe this group of people that we're not a part of. They follow Jesus, but we don't really totally understand it. So two out of three times... That's how the New Testament uses the term Christian. But today, we use Christian all the time. There's, uh, You belong to the Christian religion, or you're part of a Christian culture, or you listen to Christian music, or read Christian books, or watch Christian movies. We use it all the time. But the first followers of Jesus never used that term, or very rarely used that, ter- that term. Instead, the term that they use, the phrase that they use to describe what happens when you trust Jesus, the transformative thing that happens when you know Jesus, is this phrase, "...in Christ." Over 150 times in the New Testament, the phrase in Christ or in Jesus or in him is used. And so if you're here and you're considering Christianity or you're uh, trying to figure out more about what it means to follow Jesus, this phrase is super important. Because you could look at it and say, I'm I'm weighing Christianity as an idea, but that's not how people who actually know Jesus and follow Jesus, how they describe what happens when you trust Jesus. When you trust Jesus, you are in Christ. So we're gonna look at, Uh, what it means to be in Christ or in Jesus. And just if you're curious, that Christ's word is not Jesus's last name. It's a title of his authority. He is king. And so it's saying, what does it mean to be in King Jesus? So we're going to talk through first a definition of what it means and then three transformative realities that are true of you when you are in Jesus. So a definition and three transformative realities. So simple definition to explain, what does it mean to be in Jesus? What does it mean to be in Christ is this, what happens to Jesus happens to me. What happens to Jesus happens to me. Now I'll give you a couple pictures to think about this. It's Mother's Day. And so if we think about the the concept of motherhood, right? When someone is pregnant, there is a, a life that is developing inside of them. There's an infant that's developing in their womb. And so what happens to the mother happens to that child. So the things that the mom eats affects the development of the child. The exercise that the mom gets shapes the health of the child. We could say that that child is in the mother, or as Paul says, hidden in Christ, hidden in her. And so what happens to the mom happens to that infant. That could be a picture that you could think of. Another way to think about it is this. In 2016, when LeBron James led the Cavaliers to the the NBA championship, all of Akron was in LeBron. His uh, victory was our victory. His struggle was our struggle. When we were down three games to one, we felt the angst of that. And then when he won, he gave that victory to us. We were in him. His victory became our victory. What happened to them happened to us. And so in a deeper, more real transformative kind of way, when you are in Christ, what happens to Jesus happens to you. And so what happens to Jesus? We're gonna talk about three things that happened to Jesus that happened to us. We're gonna talk about his death, his resurrection, and his glory. His death, his resurrection, and his glory. So first, let's talk about his death. What happens to Jesus happens to me. So when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus died, I died. Notice what Paul says in chapter three, verse three. He says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. so that hidden in Christ with God, he's talking about you are now in Christ, but in order to be in Christ, first, you have to die. First, there has to be a death. Now, what death is he talking about? Is he saying, you know, when you kick the bucket and go to heaven, then you are in Jesus? Is that what he's talking about? No, it's not. You see, what Paul has talked about, he's been talking about this idea of death for a few chapters now. And in chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about what this death is. It's not when I die and go to heaven, something else happened. When Jesus died, I died. In chapter 2, verse 13, this is what he says. He says, and you the were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, in that moment in history, I died with him. Now, what does that mean? What is that me that died with him? Paul uses this picture of this record that stands against us. He says there's this long record that stands against us. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, If all of your life was posted on Instagram, right? If every moment of your life was posted on Instagram or Facebook, depending on which generation you are, if all of your life is posted on Instagram, there would be some really good things that we would see, but there would also be some really bad things that we would see. We'd see your anger, we'd see your hypocrisy, we'd see your, your lust, we'd see the gossip and the greed that would take place. All of that would be available for us to see. That's kind of what Paul is saying, that there's this record that is built up against you. Of all the bad things that you have done, it stands against you. Now, here's the interesting thing. We're kind of dealing with this in our culture right now. If you're a millennial like me, you grew up with teachers warning you, be careful what you post, because employers and future colleges will be able to see that and judge you on that, right? So we grew up kind of hearing or thinking about that idea. And we're seeing that play out in our culture right now, where politicians or comedians or people who get really famous, uh, they have to apologize for things that they posted 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, people laughed at them, and they thought that they were funny, and they didn't think twice about it. But now today, we're looking back and then saying, that was, there was a problem with that. I want you to see something that's really interesting in that. One is that back then, people sort of said, okay, good, fine, we won't judge you for that, but today we are, and so in our culture, morality, good and bad is always kind of shifting. It's always kind of changing. It's always just based on popular opinion. And Yes, there are some things that were posted and shared in the past that should not have been, but back then, culture said, okay, this is good, but now it's not. What Paul is saying here is that the record that stands against you is not based on what the culture thinks. It's not based on what your community thinks, whether this is good or not or bad, this record stands against you because of who God is. That God is the one who decides, And, and God is not leaving it up to question what is good or what is bad. He has revealed that to us in his word. He has shown us what is good and what is bad. And so the question isn't, is this good or is this bad? It's what does God say about it? And when God declares that something is good or bad, then when you are outside of that, it stands against you. There's this record that's built up against you. And so now this stands between us and God. This is the the sinful self that I have. But notice what Paul says. He says, when Jesus dies, what he is doing is he is taking that sinful self of me and putting it on himself. He says he takes that record that stands against me. And Paul says he nails it to the cross. It's as if when the nails go through Jesus' wrists, it also goes through my old sinful self. Those nails pierce through all the bad things that I have ever done. The record that stands against us is nailed to the cross when Jesus died. And so when he is buried, my old sinful self is buried too. That when Jesus dies, my old sinful self and all the record that stood against me is buried in the ground with him, and it will never come up again. When I am in Christ, I died. And you see, this is the first thing that you have to understand if you're considering becoming a Christian is that there has to be a death. There has to be a removal of this record that stands between you and God. And so this is what Jesus has done for you. That the God who says this is right and this is wrong has also provided a way for you to be made right with him through Jesus. And so to be in Christ first requires you giving your record to him, handing him your debts, confessing those sins to him and saying, take this, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. Give this to him and he will put it in the ground. And here's the beautiful thing about this. When Jesus puts your old sinful self in the ground, when he buries it, he is never going to bring it up again. Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when you trust Jesus, your old sinful self is buried and dead, and he is never going to bring it up again. So when you are in Christ, there's never going to be a moment where you are praying a prayer, asking God to do something, and he would say, I'd love to do that, but let's talk about what happened 10 years ago. He's never going to do that. He's never going to say, I would love to answer your prayers, or I would love to bless you, or I would love to encourage you, but I can't because five years ago you did that thing. He's not going to do that because your old sinful self is dead and buried. When Jesus died, I died. And So becoming a Christian is first and foremost trusting Jesus to take that record on himself, and he will when you give it to him. So Paul says, for you died, and when you die, your life is now hidden with Christ in God so let's talk about the second reality, that's true of you when you are in Jesus. If what happens to Jesus happens to me, then when Jesus rose, I rose. When Jesus rose, I rose. Look at uh, chapter three verse one. Paul says, "If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God." He says, "When Jesus rose from the dead, so did you." What happens to Jesus happens to me. So where is Jesus? Where is Jesus right now? Paul says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. What's the right hand? The right hand is the place of honor and authority. It's the place of love. It's the place where in a kingdom, the person who sits at the right hand of the king is the second in line, the one with all the power and the inheritance and the the glory and the honor. That's where Jesus is right now. Jesus is right now at the right hand of God in this position of honor and authority and love. And so if what happens to Jesus happens to you when you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ, that's where you are. You are right now in God's uh, calculations, in God's mind, in God's heart, at the right hand with Jesus. What happens to Jesus happens to me. So when he rises, I rose. When he is glorified, I am glorified. When he is loved, I am loved. See, one of the core things that Christians believe about God is this, is that God is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's kind of one of these deep mysteries to what Christianity is all about. But what that means is this, that before anything was made, before a single molecule or atom existed, God existed. And God existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this community of love. That God the Father loved God the Son, and God the Son loved God the Spirit, and God the Spirit loved God the Father. It was this foundational thing before anything existed. Now here's why this matters. When Jesus prayed to his Father the last night before uh, he was about to be arrested, betrayed, uh, and executed, he prayed to God the Father and he said, You have loved me since before the foundations of the world. You have loved me since before the foundations of the world. And When Jesus was baptized earlier in his life, a voice from heaven came from God the Father and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That God has loved Jesus since before the foundations of anything. But then Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. What happens to Jesus happens to you, which means this. If you're in Jesus, the love that God has for Jesus, he has for you. Just think about that for a second. The love that God has for Jesus, he has for you. The love that has been true since before anything existed, before anything was made, that love that God the Father has for Jesus, Jesus shares with you right now. And when God says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that also applies to you. And so when you are in Jesus, God's heart towards you, his attitude towards you, the thing that he wants you to know about him is that he would say this, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. I have loved you since before the foundations of the world because your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I think this is an important thing if you're here and you have trusted in Jesus for you to just wrestle with for a second. Because I think sometimes we have this uh, attitude that we have to convince God to pay attention to us. And we have to convince God to listen to us, that we have a heavy prayer request. And so we have to feel like we have to do good things in order to get God to listen to us. And oftentimes religion builds on us and says, if you do these five things or pray these four ways, then God will pay attention to you. But the reality is, if you have trusted in Jesus and your old self is dead, you are currently sitting in the position of honor in God's heart, in God's kingdom, and the love that God has for Jesus, he has for you. And so his heart towards you is, beloved child, what do you need? My beloved child, what is it that is stressing you out right now? What is it that you are struggling with? How can I help you? How can I encourage you? How can I remind you of my love? You see, if you are in Jesus, the love that God has had for Jesus since before the foundations of the world is yours and available to you. So you don't have to wonder how God feels about you, what God thinks about you. The love of Jesus is available to you. This is why Paul would say in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Absolutely nothing. You see, if you're here and you're considering Christianity, this is why uh, it's so important to get this idea of being in Christ because becoming a Christian is not simply a matter of changing your beliefs and saying, okay, I used to believe this, and now I believe this. It's about experiencing a deep, transforming, and ever-present love that is ours because of Jesus. What happens to Jesus happens to me. And so when I am in Jesus, the love that God has for him is available to me. And he says, beloved child, come to my love and experience Him. What happens to Him happens to me. But notice where Paul goes next. He doesn't just leave us there in that spot. He then, in verse 4, says this, uh, for uh, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He looks towards the future, and he says there's coming a day when Jesus is going to be glorified, when everyone is going to see who He is and know just how good He is. And so he says when Jesus is glorified, you will be glorified. And so this is the third thing to consider, the third transforming reality that is true of you when you are in Christ, is if what happens to Jesus happens to me. When he is glorified, I am glorified. When he is glorified, I am glorified. See, this word glory is a really important word in the Bible. Glory simply means this. It means like weight or significance. It gives the sense of my life matters. Right? If you've ever felt this angst that I want my life to count for something, Maybe you're looking at a career and you say, uh, what job is going to allow me to have an impact? Or you're looking at uh, maybe your kids and you're saying, is my legacy going to last in them? Are they going to value me and love me beyond my time here? We're looking for significance. We're looking for glory. But you know, the Bible tells us in the first pages that you are made for glory. That's why we're looking for significance. We're looking for something to tell us that our life matters, that our life is worth something. We're looking For glory. In the first pages of the story of God, God creates us as image bearers. He says, You are my image bearers, which you could say means that we are glory reflectors. We were created to reflect the glory of God, that as we know God and walk with Him, we would show what God is like to people all around us. We are glory reflectors. And that would give us our sense of significance, our sense of purpose in life as we knew Him. But sin separates us from that. It's like we're a mirror that's now cracked and can't reflect glory like it used to. And so this is why you're searching for significance in all of these things that will never satisfy you. You're searching for significance in your job or your relationships or your followers or or fame or success or money. We're searching for glory in all these kinds of ways because we are made for this glory that comes only by knowing God. And so when in Colossians 1, just a chapter or two before this, Paul says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What he is saying is Jesus is now come to show us that glory again. That when we see Jesus, we are seeing the glory of God. Everything that God is and wants us to know about him is wrapped up in Jesus. And so now when you follow Jesus, when you trust Jesus, when you know Jesus, you can experience glory again. This is why he says when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. What he says when you live your life to make Jesus glorious— To make Jesus seen and known, then you will experience who you were really meant to be. Then you will experience true satisfaction and true glory because you will be doing what you were created to do to make Jesus known. But how do we do that? How do we glorify Jesus in our life? It's not just sitting in this space for an hour and singing. It's not just contemplating your Bible in a personal, private Bible study. It's not just going out and evangelizing or sharing the good news of Jesus with people. In verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, what Paul is saying is this. Your old self, your old sinful self is dead and buried, never coming up again. Your current status is you are a beloved son or daughter of God in the position of honor hidden With Christ, And so that means that whatever you do on Monday, whatever you do on Tuesday, you can do from that same position of love and honor. And so if you work, he says, work in such a way that brings glory to Jesus. Whatever your work is. If you're in school, be in school in such a way to bring glory and honor to Jesus. If you're a parent, parent in such a way that your kids will bring glory and honor to Jesus. You see, he's saying whatever it is that you do, Whether we think that it is a churchy thing or or a worshipy thing or not, you can do it to make Jesus known. And so whatever you do, when you live as if Jesus is your life, you will bring glory to Jesus. And when Jesus gets glory, he in turn shares that glory with you, and you become who you were always meant to be. So you can keep chasing glory in your career, and you could lose it. You keep chasing glory in a relationship, and that relationship could end. You keep chasing glory in all these things, but they will never satisfy you. But only in seeking to know Jesus and to make him known will you find who you were truly meant to be. And this is what it means to be in Christ. And what happens to him happens to me. And so my old self is dead and buried, never coming up again. My current self is resting in the love that God has for Jesus that he shares for me. And so I now live my life to bring glory to Jesus. And when you do that, you will find who you were always meant to be, who you are in Christ. See, when Paul uses this phrase, your life is now hidden with Christ and God, there's a lot that we don't know about that. There's a lot of mystery to that. It's a hidden life. So we don't know all that that means. But but, uh, oftentimes in this space, to consider that or to think about that, he says, set your mind on these things, set your heart on these things. He said, contemplate these things. And so what I find for me most helpful is uh, sometimes like artistic expressions are helpful in this because sometimes it gets stuck in my head and it's just like all facts and figures, but I need to actually rest in the hidden life that I have in Jesus. So a few years ago, a mentor of mine introduced me to this, this painting. I think we have it on the screen here. Uh, it's a painting called uh, The Trinity. Uh, it's by a Russian painter, and he was trying to depict what this hidden life in Christ means. What does it mean that we are now invited into Jesus? Now, I'll give you a little bit of an exclamation, explanation so you can ex- experience this. Uh, remember, we said that Christians believe that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Now, it's hard to depict that. It's hard to wrap our minds around this. And so what he did is he uh, painted these three characters. The character to the left there is God the Father. Now, we know that because the other two characters are bowing their heads towards him. And Jesus said he serves his Father, and the Holy Spirit serves Jesus and and the Father. And so uh, God the Father is there on the left. Across the table from you is Jesus. We know that because he's wearing blue, and in art, uh, the blue is a sign of divinity. And so that means that the other character there to the right is the Holy Spirit, and he's wearing green, representing the new life and growth that comes. But I want you to notice that the artist intentionally drew this, these three characters, around a four-sided table. And notice that the open side of the table is facing you. It's facing you. And what he is communicating in that, what he wants you to consider, is this hidden life in Christ. What does it mean to be in Jesus? It means that you're invited to that table. It means that you are invited into this table, this community of love that is known as God because of Jesus. That Jesus sits across the table from you, beckoning you and inviting you to come into the table to experience the love of God. And at the seat and that table, there's a bowl. And we don't know what's in the bowl. It's not totally clear what's in the bowl, but we can imagine that, that what Jesus is saying is come into the community of my love. I have made it possible for you to experience this and now find satisfaction. Find whatever it is that you need. Find the love that you need, the glory that you need, the, the belonging that you need is in that bowl. And if you but come to him and answer yes to his invitation, that seat at the table is available for you. This is what it means to be in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What happens to him happens to you. And so the invitation to come to this table is open to anyone. And you see, this is why we practice communion so often because the night before Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a table similar to this with his disciples. And he explained to them that he was about to show them his glory and show them his love. And so the way that he did that, he took bread and he broke it. He said, eat this. This is my body. I want you to experience my love. And he took a cup and he said, drink this. This represents my blood that cleansed all your sins. And when you do this, you will know the love that I have for you, the love that I have had for you since before the foundation of the world. This is why as a community every week we partake of communion. We participate in this meal because this is where we are. This is what reminds us of our status. We are resting at the table with Jesus, and he provides for us all that we need. And so if you're here this morning, you identify with Jesus, you recognize that my past self is dead and buried, and Jesus has forgiven my sins, and I now rest in this position of love, we want to invite you to take communion with us in just a moment. Uh, there are elements in the back if you have not picked those up yet. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond in song, and you can take those elements Uh, from the back there. If you're not sure where you are, if you're not sure if you're sitting at this table or not, you have questions, this is why we're here as a community. We're here as a community to help you understand what it means to be in Christ, to trust in him, and to experience the transforming reality of who he is. And so if you are not sure, we would say hold off on partaking of this meal because we want you to understand who Jesus is, but bring your questions bring your follow-up, bring yourself again every week as we consider who Jesus is together. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to leave this image on the screen just for a moment as you partake in communion so you can just contemplate to set your mind and your heart on this reality, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. God, we're here because of Jesus, that because of his death, our old self is dead and buried. You'll never bring it up again. Because of his resurrection, we are sitting in this place of honor and love, the love that you've had for Jesus, you have for us. And so help us to rest in that love, to know that whatever it is that we need, wherever it is that we are struggling, that you look at us and you say, you're my beloved son. God, would we live in such a way to bring glory to Jesus? And in doing so, would you make us who we were made to be? So God, as we take of this meal, Would you allow this deep mystery that our life is hidden with Christ in God to permeate our hearts and our souls so we have this experience of deep, abiding trust in you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who we are hidden in. Amen.